You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hi, everyone. Welcome again to the Tennis.com podcast. I am Ed McGrogan here with Pete Bodo, Richard Pagliaro. We're gathering after uh, a night of tennis at Madison Square Garden here in New York City, and just a day before things really get going on the other coast at Indian Wells, um, the first a significant tournament, I would say, of, of great significance, I should say, after the Australian Open. And, you know, pretty much everybody will be there. There's obviously a few big exceptions, the Williams sisters, and we'll get to that. Uh, this is the 12th year in a row. I just read that that was the case. Um, I want to lead with the men, though, actually. I think I think between the podcast and all we've written, we've, we've covered Rafa pretty significantly in February. This was like Rafa's month, I feel like. For, yeah, exactly. For, Rafa it out. <laughs> there, there is a little bit of Rafa fatigue, but you know he is going to get uh, his first real competitive hardcore matches at any Wells. I, I think for the most part we can really say that, um, maybe to kind of put the first and last word on Rafa here, that we really don't know, I, I think, what happens until it really plays itself out. I know that's not a very, you know, uh, interesting way to look at things, but I mean, what, you were there, Pete. I mean, last night. I mean, was there anything you gleaned from the match that would give you any sort of lookest into Rafa's immediate hardcore future, or is it just you know a practice session? Well, us? I think everybody's so focused on his knees that they're forgetting that the guy has not played under the kind of circumstances he's going to find at Indian Wells in a year, and that's going to be a big thing. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, the guy Del Potro. Beat him in an exhibition seven six six four, I guess. Right. And say what you want about the fact it was an exhibition. They screwed around with Ben Stiller. They did this. They did that. The fact of the matter is, they didn't do one comedic moment, one you know lighthearted typical exhibition repartee thing until you know into the second set. So and these guys were hitting the ball hard, and you know they were running down. They were running down balls. And so I th- yeah, I thought they played the tiebreaker out. I mean that was. Uh the doll actually led it four to two and lost the last five points. But I, you know, I agree with you for the most part. That first set did look pretty good for the, you know. Yeah, they were they were attacking the ball. You could see that Rafa, you know, is not really dialed in on the hard court, and that Juan Juan Martin coming off Rotterdam is when there was actually feeling pretty comfortable out there. So that tells you a little bit of something. I think you know you can't read too much into it. So I think Rafa's challenges, you know, I think in a sense you put the knee aside, other than the nightmare scenario that you know his knee really starts to hurt and he's got to pull out. And and figure well. Let's let's see where his hard court game is at. And I think he's looking at it that way too. I don't think he's got huge expectations. Yeah, I thought you made a good point today, where it's it would be for him more acceptable to lose on the account of you know he was better than me on this day instead of because of an injury related issue which has come up so often with him in hard court events. So that's I think what we'll see. Did you see anything else in Rafa last night? That, you know from a pure game perspective on your end? I thought the forehand, he was hitting the sweet spot pretty often and uh, that he was able to change direction with the forehand against, like Pete was saying, Del Pose, obviously one of the hardest hitters out there, that he was able to take that ball at times and change the direction off the forehand, I thought was good. And he, he had a spring in his step. He hit a few of those high leaping backhand volleys. I mean, he really, you know, he, he was bouncing around. I thought that was encouraging. I thought the court helped it. Sort of a slower indoor. I thought that helped Nadal a little bit too to really kind of show off what he needed to, and just the nature of the event too. So, but like I said, I, I think we've kind of really covered Rafa pretty well. I want to talk about Indian, Indian Wells a little bit from the perspective of the remainder of the Big Four, and I want to be clear here that Nadal, you know, despite him being number five, after what you saw in Acapulco against Ferrer, he, this is. He's still clearly in the top four. I mean, there's no dispute. King of clay. Let's, let's just get that out of the way right now. 
Um, so let's start with Djokovic, actually, who, for what I, I feel like it seems like the third or fourth time, has started a season kind of on an incredible tear. Um, you know, two years ago he went undefeated for through the hard court season. He's won the Australian Open four times, um, and he's done well in the month of March in these events in the past. What I want to ask, though, is I mean, what do you, is more about his motivation um, for these tournaments? I think there's a difference between playing level and maybe a hunger level. And I know Djokovic is clearly playing the best, but do you think he is still you know, motivated extremely highly for these events, which even if they're not the slams, you know, they're close, but they're still not the slams. You know, what do you guys think about really Novak's mindset going into this month? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I watched him last week win Dubai without dropping a set, too, and he he just has a sense of the match, and he manages the match well. He was down a break against Burdich in the final. He turned it up. I, I think the hunger is very strong. And also, Indian Wells, you know, he lost semis to Isner last year, right? So he can actually pick up a little there. Um yeah, he looks he looks real good, and also to see him come forward, take the swing volleys out of the air. I think he making a conscious effort to try to shorten up the points and not rely on the defense so much. Although he still played some amazing defense against. It, you know, it would be interesting for Djokovic. You know, let's say he continues going on with this. I think since he's become number one, um, you know, I think it was first like a reaction, like wow, if somebody besides Federer and Nadal is number one. But progressively, Djokovic is really incrementally kind of, you know, establish himself as like, oh, he's a great number one in his own right. He's not just kind of a, a, a place filler for those two while they kind of work out the kinks there. So, um, well, the beast, The beast of the Middle East is about to become the beast of the American West, I think. I don't see a guy coming anywhere near him. And I think one of the big advantages is that he plays such a limited schedule. I mean, the guy's only played two tournaments this year. It's, you know, here we are in two months of the year is gone. He'll be, he'll be well into the third month of the year by the time he actually gets rolling on a, on his third tournament. So I think he stays fresh. That's my thing. Now, I mean, you know, if you're talking about, well, is a guy really going to feel motivated? Is he really hungry to win these tournaments? He better be hungry because he's not playing that many of them. So, you know, I I think I think if you were playing week in, week out, if you'd won Rotterdam and, you know, and then, you know, is going to Indian Wells and then he's got Miami on a schedule, I think maybe you'd say, well, right, he's due for a letdown of some kind. But I, I, think, he's, I think he's firing on all cylinders and he's really – Calibrating his schedule and his and his his entire program to really be a peak performer it's, every time. And he's the antithesis of Nadal in that when you ask him, he loves hard court. He he play on hard court all the time if he yep. could. Yeah, it's Djokovic has done well for that. He he played um, a Davis Cup tie, and I believe before the Australian Open, he may have played Hotman Cup. I mean, he's he's been smart in kind of these sort of somewhat practice, somewhat match situation of course and um and but speaking of someone who has not played a lot of tournaments did you know that Andy Murray has not played since the Australian Open I did not realize this till I looked it up today but this is only his second tournament of the year um pure tour event here and the last time we saw Murray um first off he he comes off I think with a lot of people thinking that this guy is really Djokovic's principal rival at the moment after he took down Federer in the semis. He, it wasn't his best showing as he's done in the past in a final at the Australian, but I think a lot of people came away from Australia thinking that the one-two establishment is now Djokovic and Murray. And you know, for that reason, I'm kind of wondering how how these upcoming events for Murray – play into uh into into what he what he needs to get out of them you know does he need to have a strong month of march in your opinion 
Well, you know, you could have thought that before, right, Rich? I mean, you know, like two years ago, I guess it was, when he had that horrible run. He lost to Donald yeah. Young, I think. And, yeah. and he, you know, lost like three out of four matches after Australia. He was devastated after losing that final in Australia. You know, I, I don't think we're going to see a repeat of that. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard when you take that much time off. You know, you, you don't know. I mean, it's it's not inconceivable. As good as Murray is, it's not inconceivable that he ends up drawing a guy like, you know, I don't know, uh, a Thomas Bellucci who's, you know, capable of playing great, great, great tennis and could not, you know, could hit him off the court. I mean, it's possible. And then, and then he's looking at saying, well, you know, going into Miami, he'll have played one tournament. So, I, you know, it's a calculated risk. I think he's probably done this to work on his fitness. Two months as well. And and he has suffered a number of actually poor losses at these uh, fairly big hardcore Masters events too in the past. So that's, it, it is interesting. I mean, Murray, I think, is for the most part, gotten rid of a lot of those sort of really obscure losses like you can't believe he would lose a, an opening rounder but um but that's i guess why i think about you know what this all means for him in the, in the big picture of things so and you wonder if getting back to pete's point about novak managing his schedule if that's the lendl influence like hey you got to manage your schedule too because the guy you're chasing is going to be fresh every time he shows up and i think miami it it you know, like you said, he's had bad losses at both. I remember the year Fish beat him in Miami. But I, to me, it looks like it feels like a homecoming kind of tournament for him because he trains there so much. He's so familiar with the area. I, I think he'll be fine these next two events. For the uh, the last one, Federer, um, defending champ, if you remember. It's so long ago now, it feels like. But he did win Indian Wells last year. He beat Isner in the final. Um Federer actually hasn't reached a final this year. I'm pretty sure of that. And um, all of his losses, I would say, are uh, somewhat notable in that you have that Murray one where I think it was really a surprise of how much Murray took it to him in that match. You have the match points against Burdich. He loses that match. And then a a loss to Beneteau, which is kind of a head-scratcher on Rotterdam, an indoor tournament that he's done very well in. So, um, you know, to me it almost seems like with all that considered, it, it it seems like it might be asking a little bit to see another run to the final for Federer, but you know, as we've done oftentimes, I think in the last few years, I think we still have a tendency to really underestimate Federer, um, even at his age and even considering the competition he's facing, you know, amongst the top guys. So, anything of Roger's recent form that uh, struck you guys? I mean, that was honestly somewhat surprising the way, even though he suffered these match point. You know, he's had match points, but he still lost the match. It still doesn't really become something you're used to over time. You remember we had the same situation. In fact, at Indian Wells when he had, I think it was match points, and then at Miami at a lousy tournament. This was a couple of years ago. Uh, Miami lost to, I think, uh, Burdich is one of the, I think Burdich in Miami, he had match points and lost. I think Bagdadis was also. Bagdadis right. in 2010. Right. There you yeah, go, exactly. And then he right. broke the racket in Miami, right. and everyone said this right. guy's done. Everyone said you he's done. Right. Then he goes and wins oh four more God, grand slams. Oh, my apocalypse. He broke his racket. You know, people were writing him off then. Yeah. Yeah, so you can't make any, can't jump to any conclusions because we've kind of been there before, as you say. But uh, I, I think I think the thing that was a little bit discouraging to me in terms of looking from Federer's point of view was, you know, you look and he goes, you you have to, like, look at him and Djokovic, you know, vis-a-vis their matches with Burdick. And, you know, Djokovic just stood in there, you know, squared up with Burdick, and, and they went at it, you know, hammer and claw. And, and you know, and had, had, and Djokovic played a great match and, and beat him, like, right. pretty severely. 
Federer, on the other hand, you know, looked like he was running scared in that match. You know, granted, he had match points, but, you know, there were just moments in there when you thought, geez, you know, he's got to be able to close a deal. He tried a lot of different things, maybe a few too many different things in that match, almost like he felt like he had to do something special and different to beat the guy. Like and his game wasn't enough to beat Bird. Exactly. And when, it, when, when Roger Federer feels like he's got to, like, go out of whatever comfort zone he's in or, or do some different things and change things up a lot to beat somebody – you know, that's something it's just a little bit askew. Um, for the women, you know, this is actually the only draw that's out as of this recording here. Um, it, to me, as I said, the Williams sisters not in this. So this, you know, perhaps another a real version of Azarenka and Serena. That would not happen until Miami. But to me, this Indian Wells tournament, you know, obviously in the States, um, a number of young Americans, A, have kind of really announced themselves, I think, over the last six months um, for various reasons. And you're gonna, a lot of those same players get wild cards into this event, too. So, you know, at the, looking at the draw, there's quite a few players, I think, of note that we haven't seen a lot of um, aside from the slams. You have players like Madison Key. She plays Melanie Udan to start. Um, Taylor Townsend gets a wild card into this tournament. Um, she plays Hradeka as her opponent. Jamie Hampton, who you remember from Australia, she plays Maddox Sands. And then... Uh, Sands- oh, that's that's no, that's too bad. I, yeah. I hate to see that. Bethany had such a good tournament there in Kuala Lumpur, and, and I've been a big fan of Jamie Hampton's. Yeah, they will uh, square off quickly and eliminate one of one of them uh, right away. Um, and then beyond those that I mentioned there, Sloan Stevens, who was semifinalist in Australia, it depends how she does, but she could actually end up playing Azarenka um, in like the fourth round of this tournament. So there's there's a lot of um, really chances for the younger crop of American women who have really been kind of percolating for the past little while to you know, see what happens here at a hometown tournament. The spotlight will be kind of back on them for for lack of it. So, you know, of those players, who, you know, maybe who of those players are you mo- most interested interested to see and how their performances shake out? Um, Stevens, I remember the first, I think it was her first pro win was in Indian Wells. She qualified in 2010, and uh, she won a round. And I remember watching her thinking, God, this girl, if she continues to develop, I mean, you could see that, the elements were all there, and she's a very smart person. I I really like her game, and I like watching her, and, and Keys as well, I think, those two. And like Pete said, Bethany coming off a really, uh, you know, Bethany had really dropped, so to come back, I know it's a lower-level tournament, but to get to the final, that's got to be a big boost for her, and she's been successful in doubles while she's trying to sort of revive her singles game, so that it's really nice to see her kind of back into the mix. How much have you guys seen Keys and Townsend? I haven't seen. Uh, I've last I saw Keys, of course, was in Australia, like most most everybody else. So I've you know I I haven't seen very much. Uh, you know, odd glimpses here and there before that. Townsend, I've seen somewhat as well. But um, you know, I like I I really like Keys's. You and know, Keys future. serve in that altitude. It's going to be a real real big weapon right. if she's making it. I mean, because that that's really tough. That the the altitude, you know. I'm curious, by the way, about Christina McHale because you know I I, I had high hopes for her basically in terms of. Uh, I thought, you know, she's got a great competitor's yeah. head. She's got a good, solid game. You know, defensive, not not a spectacular shot maker, not a lot of versatility. But she's she's a real tough, good competitor, and she's really had rough sledding since pretty much last and fall. And she beat Kvitova at Indian Wells last year. I remember, yep. and I was like, "Wow, that's such a big win!" To be, and uh, and you're right; it's been it's been kind of tough going for her. Kvitova is a player that we've. This is 
perhaps a tournament that could uh, speak to. She's actually had a pretty good spring herself. Um, and, you know, Steve Tigner actually wrote a little, you know, the preview of this little breakdown, really is saying that Kvitova has never really had a lot of great success in the U.S. for whatever reason. And, uh, but if there's any time, I think, to kind of step out of that, she just um, beat, I believe, Rodwanska. Wozniacki, a lot of good players right in a row in the Middle East here and has really kind of been one of the hotter players on tour there. Um, you know, of those, of those top women there, you know, with no Williams sisters, of course, um, and just where Azarenka is at right now, she's the defending champ at Indian Wells, she's the Australian Open champ, and she just beat Serena in the Middle East, um, you know, to to speak to how well she's playing. Is this, you know, is this her tournament to lose? I kind of want to end with this point about Azarenka, who we saw last night at MSG as well. Um, you know, just like Djokovic, she's really, she really is perhaps at a, at a time where, depending on how well she takes it, she could just, you know, she could be becoming you know, a, a, sort of a number one that with some staying power, really, which is, um, you know, we'll see what Serena ends up doing. Of course, she's closest to her with a Sharapova, who's also in this tournament, of course. But, you know, really, is this Ozrenka's tournament to lose, do you guys think? You know, it's funny. I don't, I don't, I don't feel that in a funny way. I, I don't, you know, I'm still not entirely convinced that she's a day-in, day-out, win-every-time-she-plays type player that she's got that hunger. I mean, she's been doing great, no question about that. But, I mean, there have been those pullouts from tournaments and, and, and stuff. So, I don't know. I think she's. I think she kind of plays the percentages a little bit, you know, more than saying, look, if I go out there and win every match, that everything will take care of itself. I don't think she, that's particularly her attitude. I think her attitude is more like, well, I need to do well here. I need to do well there. This is what I really want. This is what I'm targeting. So, I, I don't feel that. I mean, on form, yes, it's probably true. Serena's not there. You know, who's, who, you know, who's going to beat her? And Shara Pova, I think, has been very, very up and down. You know, I don't, I don't really see her putting together the number of matches that, that she needs to, to win a thing. But uh, So, by default, I guess, you know, she's she's clearly going to be both numerically and by default kind of kind of the favorite. But I don't see her as, a, like, rolling in there saying, this is my this is my tournament. Mm-hmm. Any um, any final thoughts, Richard, on maybe? I remember last year, I, I, I always felt like if you get her early, you have, a, like, Bartel almost beat her last year, and Indy Wells probably should have beat her, and it was that 7-6 long match. But I don't feel that way anymore because last year she would still throw in double-digit, double faults once in a while. I right. think she's really cleaned up that part of the serve and going for the higher percentage, knowing that if it's not Serena on the other side of the net, she could pretty much deconstruct a lot of those women from the baseline because she has a lot of margin. She hits the ball so deep and close to the line. I would love to see her and Kvitova go at it in Indian Wells or Miami because they haven't I don't think they've played in like over a year or so. And hmm. Kvitova's won nine of her last ten. She's on a roll. She, you know, she beat – you look at Dubai, she beat Hantakova, Ivanovic, Wozniacki. Those are three former Indian Wells champs. And, and, she, and Rodwanska. And Rodwanska's a fine – and she did it all in straight sets until the final. So I think if Kvitova is right and consistent, I'd love to see those two square off just to, for both of them to see where they're at. Because uh, that's a rivalry, I think that that people could really get excited about. One big thing about Azarenka, which I forgot to mention, I think, is that you know you didn't see this too much in the uh, at the exhibition last night with Serena, but she's really been attacking a lot more and, and been much more willing to come into the. I think that really could right. serve her well. Right. If she does that in Indian Wells, I could see her win winning going away. But it's gonna it's gonna be very interesting to see whether she does that at Indian Wells. I think. 
what I like about her, it's either her or or the coach, is that they're able to sort of re- recalibrate her game every few months. You say, okay, you're doing this well. We need to pick up, like you said, the net game. Yep. We need to clean up the – and she seems to really address it in a very methodical way. This is what I need to do. And then she goes out and, and works on it and does it. And i, I got to respect her for that. She really did come back from kind of a – she started so well last year, kind of dipped a little in the summer right. months. But then U.S. Open, she – you know arguably could have won the final and then, you know, obviously takes the Australian Open title here. So And Clay is her least favorite service, so I think she goes into these events with urgency. Not that, hey, I'm going to fall off the end of the world if I don't do well here, but this is a time where I should be successful. This is my my surface and sort of give herself a little bit of a boost going into Clay. Right. Very good. Um, so that's all for the pre-Indian Wells podcast, and we'll be back um, myself, I'll be talking with Steve Tegner, who's at the tournament uh, throughout the next week and a half. So stay tuned for that. Tennis.com podcast for Pete Bodo, Richard Pagliaro, I am Evan Brogan. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.